You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue into week two of our series through Selected Psalms. This week, our discipleship and missions pastor, Mark Evans, preaches from Psalm 2. As he does, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to, encourage, and challenge us as we listen. Welcome to Broadmore. We're so glad you are here today. Uh, it's a great day to be uh, in the house of the Lord. This is going to be a great day. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm is right in the middle of your Bible. So just cut it in half and open it up and you should be uh, pretty close. As you're looking, uh, you may have missed last week. Pastor Josh kicked us off uh, with a summer series in the Psalms called The Summer in the Psalms. Uh, Josh is not here today. He and several other, other of our family members here at Broadmoor are at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention is an annual uh, conference that we do for Southern Baptist churches all over the country. They gather in New Orleans, and we want to pray that that is a good and fruitful time for them today and uh, trust that the Lord will do some, some cool things uh, during this week. Psalm chapter 2 is where we are today. He, uh, he started us off in chapter one. Now, Psalm chapter two is about kings and kingdoms. <clears throat> kings and kingdoms. And we're going to talk about kings and kingdoms today a good bit. But before we do, just think through history. We have a fascination with kings and kingdoms. All of our history books, you guys who are still in school, history is full of rise of kings and the falls of fall of kings, civilizations rise, kingdoms rise, and eventually fall, and new kingdoms take their place. We write books about kings. We have movies, Lord of the Rings series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We just continue to be amazed and obsessed with kings. You know, just a month ago, King Charles coronation in England, 10.5 million Americans tuned in to watch that. Several years ago, when Princess Diana died, 1.5 billion worldwide tuned in to watch her funeral. Why do we do that? Why are we so consumed? Why are we so amazed by kings and kingdoms? Sometimes it may not be literal kings and kingdoms. It might be figurative. It might be uh, forces or powers or leaders or government structures, things that we look to to say, I, I want to look at that power and why do we do that? Here's an illustration that will um, kind of prove the point. Many of you maybe have had this conversation. If you've looked around, you've noticed our world is a little chaotic right now. There's a lot of uncertainty in our world. It seems like everywhere you look, there's a threat of war. Maybe you've had this conversation with your young children that goes something like this. Hey, Dad, if we go to war, we're going to win, aren't we? we? We've got the best military, don't we, Dad? Hey, if World War III breaks out, we're going to be aligned with these countries, and surely, Dad, we're going to be able to beat those countries, right? What are they looking for? I'm right there with them. I look at the stats, I'm trying to reassure myself that the United States is the biggest and the baddest. Why? 
Because we want security, we want assurance, we want safety. We want what uh, we're going to talk about today in light of kings and kingdoms, the word refuge. The word refuge. So let's hang on to that. Psalm chapter 2 is where we will be. Kings and kingdoms. Now Psalm chapter 2 is actually called a royal psalm. There's 10 royal psalms throughout the book of Psalms. That's 10 chapters that deal primarily with kings and kingdoms. It could be a coronation song. It could be um, a prayer for the king. It could be a celebration of the king and the victory over war. But these psalms deal directly with kings and kingdoms. But here's what I want you not to miss. So hang on here. They have a dual meaning. They will look at the current king and kingdom, which is in this case, David. King David is the author, and he's talking about the kingdom of Israel. So there is a real historical context here. But there is a dual meaning and that it also points to the coming king, King Jesus. And in this reading, as they're reading this, yes, they're celebrating King David, but they're looking forward to King Jesus. So we're going to read it through one time with the, horse, with the historical context, because I think it will help us really get the full meaning of the passage. Then we're going to turn and we're going to read it through again with more of a prophetic lens to understand what this says about our coming King Jesus. All right, everybody in? Read it twice. We're going to go through it twice. Now, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Anytime we approach scripture, and Pastor Josh mentioned this last week, one of our primary prayers is God, show me how I can see you more clearly. Help me understand you more clearly. Now, these Psalms were written. You can imagine the the Israelites gathered together and they would read these Psalms and they would celebrate and they would uh, praise him for who he is. And they would say, God, we want to see you for who you are. We want to make sure we understand and, and, and don't forget your faithfulness to us, your goodness to us. And so help me see you more clearly. As you're praying through that, and as you are anticipating the Lord to reveal himself to you through this passage, let's jump in. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So here's what's happening. So you've got the kingdom of Israel. David is the king. The surrounding kingdoms, the people within those kingdoms are raging against Israel. The kings of those surrounding kingdoms, it says they counsel together. Picture a conspiracy. Like they're gathering together. They don't like this kingdom and they're gathering together to conspire against it. And what is David started off with? Why? Why are you guys doing this? Now, the question is not a literal question where he's really trying to figure out. It's that rhetorical question that says more of a statement in the same way that I used to work with students. I would watch students um, in my student ministry continually do things that have no good result. Futile. And I would say, hey, dude. Why do you keep doing that? There's no hope in that direction. There's no hope in that answer. 
And in the same way, David is saying, kings, why do you continue to conspire? There's no answer there. What are they conspiring to do? Verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The picture here is a cry for freedom. They don't want to be under the bondage. Some scholars say the better picture here is the word yoke. Now, we don't use the, the word yoke very often, but you understand the, uh, the old picture of, of ox or who would have that thing on their shoulders. It was that brace that the farmers would use to control the ox. These kings are saying, we don't want any part of that. We don't want this kingdom. We don't want King David. We don't want these people coming over us. We want no control from them. We want to be free. We don't want to be yoked to that king and that kingdom. So they conspired against him. Now, verse 4 is a, a strong piece of this passage because it gives us a piece. Remember, these are the people of Israel. They're gathered together and they're, and they're singing this to him or they're quoting this, this uh, poem to him. And this is what they say about their God. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens, he laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God's response to these conspiring kings and forces and kingdoms what does God do? He laughs at him. Now, I don't think it's the picture of this evil, wicked laugh. I think it's a picture of a dismissive laugh. Like, do you really think you've got that much power? When he holds them in derision, that's really what that says to reinforce that. He's saying, you think you are all that. You think you are strong and you think you're a formidable foe. I'm telling you, you got nothing and I'm unfazed by your power. And for the people of Israel to declare that, that our God holds them in derision and he laughs at what they think is power. Verse five, his laughter changes tones. He says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, God speaking here, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Why would that terrify these kings? Here's Yahweh, God, saying, you're conspiring against this David? I'm telling you, I'm the one that put that king here. He's my anointed. You have no hope. said, I have set my king, God placed him there. And where did he put him? In Zion. Now a little side note about Zion, because this is going to help us moving forward. Zion is a, a holy city. It's the place of worship. It was kind of like that middle, that center of worship right there for the nation. And it is a city that's a holy city, but it's also referred to, going back to our opening, a city of refuge. A city of, ref of refuge where God said, I'm setting my king here in Zion because this is the safe place. You people who come to me in my kingdom, Zion is the safe place. It is protected. And that's where he has put our king. Verse 7. 
As they continue to read, David says, I'm going to tell you, God's placed me here, and I'm going to tell you the decree that he spoke over me. This is what God said to David, saying, this is who you are. You are my son, which goes back to that anointed. I have called you. I've anointed you. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He's saying, you're you're not going to have any boundaries. You're going to be able to ask what you want, and I will continue to give you victory. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Again, imagine the people of Israel watching these outside forces, and the promise of the decree of God over their king David is, you will be able to crush them like pottery with an iron rod. We know pottery. Pottery is beautiful. It's fragile. When you break it, it shatters. And the picture here is God has anointed this king and the enemies will have no chance. They will be destroyed. Now, verse 10, David turns back to those kings and says, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. And what he's saying is, consider yourself warned. Consider yourself, you've heard the truth. You've heard the decree of of the Father Yahweh over me. You need to understand that you've heard truth, and now it's up to you. You need to wise up. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's an invitation. All you kings out there, you can come to him. You can submit yourself. Kiss the son, another sign of honor and respect, lest he be angry and you perish in his way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Again, here's your option, kings and kingdoms. You can submit and come to him, or your way is destruction. But at the end, verse 12, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. There's that word again. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. He's speaking to the kings. He's speaking to the people of other nations. He's speaking to the people of Israel. The word all is all. All of those who come to him will take refuge and they will be blessed. All right. Historical. Let's point to Jesus. We'll run through this. Verse one through four. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers counseled together. Who were those opposing forces in the time of Jesus? You had religious leaders, you had political leaders, you had government leaders, you had powers who directly came against Jesus and his coming kingdom. They were afraid. They didn't, they didn't understand who he was. They didn't know if they could trust him or not. They fought against him. They plotted against him. What did those kings and kingdoms want? The same thing kings and kingdoms want today. Freedom. They do not want to be yoked. They do not want to be submitted to that king. And what does God do in response to that? He laughs at those powers. Not one second did God look down and see what was happening on those days that Jesus was walking this earth and feel threatened. 
Not one time did he look down and say, I'm not sure this is going to plan. From the very beginning, God knew what would happen. And in his goodness and in his sovereignty, he said, I am the one who has the power. My kingdom will thrive. And none of these kingdoms that come against me will succeed. That's right. Our hope is in the same Messiah today. Because God said, in the end, the same invitation will be open. The same invitation will be open. You come against me, wise up. I'm the only place of refuge. And you can turn to me. The very last verse, just want to call your attention to it in verse 12. Blessed are all those who take refuge in me. If you go back last week, 1-1 where we first started Psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Look at the bookends. Psalm 1-1, Psalm 2-12. A lot of scholars think this maybe should have been one. Definitely is two different songs, but the way they put this together was a bookend to say, we're starting here. Blessed is who? The man who follows him, the man who submits to him. Blessed is the man who finds refuge in him. And that's where we end chapter two. All right, so how do we apply this? Where do we go from here? We'll give you a warning and a truth. A warning and a truth. We'll start with the truth. The truth is this. There's only one, only one place that you can find refuge. And that's in King Jesus. King Jesus is our only refuge. He is our only safety. He is our only assurance. He's the only place that we can find peace and rest. Here's the warning. Our attempt to find refuge in any other force or king or kingdom or leader or power, our effort to find refuge in anything else other than him is futile Other earthly kingdoms and other leaders, other world powers, they are all destined to crumble like pottery with an iron rod. As humans, although we know that, we will continue to turn to it. Every one of us in this room, by nature, will continue to turn to kings and powers and rulers and forces searching for a savior. Till the day you die by his grace, he will be convicting you and me of those false rulers that are destined to fail. And by his goodness and grace, he reveals those to us. I'm going to cut a little thinner into the slice of what we're talking about here. And it is a narrow piece, but I think it's appropriate. We're talking about kings. We're talking about kingdoms. Let's look at our country. We have been blessed here in the United States. We have a lot of Western Christian values that have been a part of our history. 
of which we should be thankful. We have Christian leaders. Many of you in this room have been involved in uh, politics, and you are godly men and women who love Jesus, who are fighting for the things that are right and good. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful for who we are as a country. I'm not going to lie. I I have been thankful for a long time that I put my head down on my pillow knowing that the United States is a superpower. It's part of who we are. We've had that blessing. But here's what happens, church, and it's happening more and more. What we do is we begin to hold on to this country and the success of this country in the same way that we hold on to the growth and expansion of the kingdom. We've taken both of these and somehow because of our history as a Christian nation, we've lumped them together and we fight for our country with the same fervency and issue and and, um, intensity that we do fight for the kingdom. Church is dangerous. God never said this country is Zion. He never said this country is where I have set my king. His kingdom goes way beyond geography, way beyond borders. Where does it go? To the ends of the earth which is a whole nother sermon as missions pastor, I wish I could preach. We have a calling to go to the ends of the earth for what purpose? To grow his kingdom, to make him king, to expand his property, his territory, so that more and more people all over the world look to him and say, you're my king. All else are destined to fail. I do it. I find refuge. I find refuge right here. I can't tell you how many times I find myself scrolling through the news. Josh introduced a phrase last week, doom scroll. Did y'all catch that? I'd never heard it before. Doom scroll. It's when you're on your phone or your iPad and you're scrolling. And it's just one doomsday story, doomsday story after another. And what happens? You start to feel like, uh, I, got a, I, I, got, <laughs> I got a question marks about the success of this country. I feel like there's a chink in the armor somewhere. We're like, I'm, I'm threatened all of a sudden. My anxiety starts to rise. And what do I do in that response? I start to get defensive. I start to get judgmental. I start to attack. Why? Because I'm, I'm trying to protect that which I find refuge. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be scared. And so I fight for the things of this country and the success of this country and the the, the progress and that we can all get along and that we can get together and make this thing work. And I fight and labor over the very thing that God has already said. It's destined to fail. Let me tell you about a group of people that don't have that luxury. 
as missions pastor, I've been able to sit in different countries and talk with different folks with different perspectives. Several years ago, I was in Southeast Asia. I was working with a group of church planters. These weren't pastors over churches like we know churches. These guys were secretive. They were threatened because of their faith, because of their leadership, because of who they were as followers of Jesus. I spoke with one who said, um, I came from another religion and this religion is actually at war against the God that I now serve. And this guy turned from that kingdom and said, I'm submitting to King Jesus. And I'm going to plant more churches that celebrate King Jesus. And his life is in danger as we speak, as he continues to plant more and more churches in the face of persecution. Had another guy who said, uh, he said there was a time where the Lord was beginning to work in our village and the people turned against him. And he said, me and my family had to flee. He said, I got my family out, but they burned our house down. I had to run to the woods and hide. And by God's goodness and by God's grace, another pastor met him and helped him escape to safety. Here's the question. How do those people read this passage? When they read through this, are they tempted to see this as a promise for the success and the growth of their country? Is that what they're fighting for? Are they fighting for Christian values? They see this passage in a whole different lens. They look at this passage through the lens of eternity with a whole different king, King Jesus, and they say, we're committed to that kingdom and we will fight for that to the death. Because they've surrendered to him and walked away from the kingdoms of this earth. When I go back to my kids who ask this question, Dad, we're going to win, aren't we? Here's what I want to say to them. Son, we are blessed. We are blessed and we can be thankful. Yes, we can vote. Yes, we can be patriotic. Friday was USA Day at Wild Week. Great. We want to love this country. We want to pray for this country. We want to vote. We want to vote for those who have needs and we want to stand up for those that are hurting. Yes, we want to do that. But church, we do not do it because we're nervous or scared or anxious about what might happen if we don't succeed. We vote and we're involved and we love this country, but we do it from a place of security anchored in our King Jesus. We're not nervous. We're not anxious. We're not afraid. This isn't what we were promised. We're promised an eternal king with an eternal kingdom. And that's what we fight for. 
I want to invite the worship team to come on back up. And as they do, the invitation for us today is for each of you and me to look at this passage and say, where do we find refuge? Where do we find refuge? What are we looking to? If it's any other source other than Jesus, we're doomed to fail. And he is good and he is gracious and he will walk with us, but we will be disappointed. Listen, I'm gonna say this as lovingly as I can, but as deeply convicted as I can possibly communicate to you because I'm speaking to me. Church, your business empire is not your refuge. The Republican Party is not your refuge. The Democrat Party is not your refuge. The United States is not your refuge. The Southern Baptist Convention is not your refuge. Any man-made structure, this building is beautiful. This is not where we find refuge. Your family legacy is not your refuge. There is one place that we turn to that is promised, that is consistent, and that is King Jesus and his kingdom. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you're not a follower of him, you're chasing other kings and kingdoms and leaders and powers and you're placing your, your, uh, your refuge in those things, Maybe you've made yourself king. You're building your own kingdom. The invitation to be a follower of Jesus is not just a prayer prayer. It is a turning of the heart that says, I'm finding refuge in that king and I'm repenting and I'm turning and I'm finding refuge to follow that king. This church is a church full of people who have submitted to the king and his kingdom. We are not primarily U.S. citizens. We are primarily kingdom citizens fighting for the things of the kingdom. And that's why we gather here together to worship that king. And if you don't know him, this verse is clear. The invitation is open to you. But I'm not going to miss... And gloss over the passage that says all other kingdoms are doomed to destruction. Whatever kingdom you're following, and I say it as graciously as I can say it, you've been warned. You've been warned. If you're following another kingdom, if you're submitted as a citizen of another kingdom, if you're pledging your allegiance to something else other than King Jesus and his, and his kingdom, wise up and consider yourself warned. Because there is one option for you. There is one option for you. And that is submission to King Jesus. Every one of us in that room, in this room, have that same invitation.
again, day after day, take inventory for the rest of your life. Father, where am I finding refuge? Because this bookend passage, verse 12, crystal clear. Blessed is the one who finds refuge in Jesus and in the King. That's my prayer for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your patience, your goodness, your grace, how you're so patient with us. Thank you for revealing and convicting us. Father, today I I pray that this church family, that each of us would continue to grow as people who are committed to you first. God, that we would find refuge in you, that we would surrender to you, we would find joy and peace. Our anchor would be in you. Convict us today of where we are not doing that. Help us to see you more clearly, Father, that we would look back to you, that we would remember you, that we would celebrate who you are and see you more clearly. You're good, you're faithful, and you are our safety and refuge. And we trust in you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're here today and you'd like to talk with someone, there will be those down here. We would love to talk with you about a decision you want to make or just pray with you. You're welcome to come and let the Lord deal with you today.